Rodrigo, check this out. What's up? Last night, the boys wanted pizza, right? Uh-huh. I put pizza in air quotes. But they also wanted pasta and chicken wings. And so we went to one of those pizza places, you know, to get all mm-hmm, that. Mm-hmm. And by the time we got the pasta and the pizza and the chicken wings and the sodas, we we're looking at like a $60 tab to have that all delivered plus tip. Jeez. You know, th- that stuff is full of sodium, mm-hmm. full of uh, who knows what. Yeah. Very little uh, real meat in right. that stuff. Right. And I'm spending 60 bucks for four people. That's more than $10 a meal for a family of four. Yeah, that's a lot. You know what's better? What? HelloFresh. HelloFresh.com. Their chefs every week come up with some fantastic items. Check this out. Uh, They have, uh, what is this? Ooh, seared steak, seared tuna, uh, Italian sausage and tomato risotto. Oh, that sounds really good. You know how much it costs for a family of four to eat one of these meals? Uh, No idea. Less than $7 per person. Less than $7 per person. That's not really good. That's a great deal. And best of all, these farm fresh ingredients show up to your door. You know what they are. You don't have to put any guesswork into it. All the ingredients to make one of these fantastic meals is right there. And all you have to do is point your browser to HelloFresh.com. HelloFresh. What a great way to do it. And here's a deal for you, Major Spoilers listeners. When you use the checkout code MAJOR50, MAJOR50, when you check out, you're going to get 50% off your first week shipment. Wow. That's a great deal. Yeah, that's now, a really good let deal. Let me ask you, would you rather prepare a great meal in 35 minutes or less for your family and have them love you and hug you and say, you're the best? Or would you rather call up some fast food pizza place who's going to deliver it in about 30 minutes or less and later everyone's like, I don't feel so good, dad. Mm. HelloFresh. Yes, I would prefer the love of my family. HelloFresh is where you need to go, and we thank them for sponsoring this episode of the Major Spoilers Podcast. This week's Major Spoilers Podcast is brought to you by the following fine and faithful spoilerites. Andrew Watts, Colin Principe, George White, Darius Malloy, Andreas Ditch, Robert Carter, Zachariah McAllister, founder of Springfield, Crystal Groves, Aaron Stafford, Matthew Bach, Cole Zydek. I'm going to go with Zydek. I may be close on that. Ian Leinington. William Place. Christopher Scrace. Frank Andershevitz. Lori McClory. Chad Schutt. DDP McCarthy. Matthew Floyd. Phil Thorne. Stephen Howland. Daniel Berg. Nathan Buskell. Kyle Romero. Matthew Anderson. Sarah Reynolds. Charles Muro. Joe, excuse me, Joe Martin. Leet Tease. Brent Williams. And no one else, because I paused funny at the end. Fine and faithful spoilerites all, we'd love to have your name join them in the hallowed ranks of spoilerosity, allowing a future Major Spoilers production to go out to you. The Major Spoilers podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers, and goes into details about the topics discussed. So if you haven't read, listened, or watched the items we talk about, you might want to come back later. I'm Matthew. I'm Zach. I'm Rodrigo. And I'm Steven, and you're listening to the Major Spoilers Podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comic fans. In this issue, the year is 50 BC. Gaul is entirely occupied by Romans. Well, not entirely. One small village of indomitable Gaul still holds out against the invaders, and life is not easy for the Roman legionaries who garrison the fortified camps of Totorum, Aquarium, Laudanum, and Compendium. Thus begins the legend of Major Spoilers. X. 
See, the, the thing about asterisk jokes is they only work in print. And if I start saying fully automatics and dogmatics out loud, it sounds like I'm going through a spell of aphasia. So let's pretend this was a really, really great joke and a reference. Move on, because the major spoilers podcast is on the air. Ix. Welcome to issue 577 of the Major Spoilers Podcast. Thank you for downloading, thank you for listening, and thank you for sharing this podcast with a friend. Just keep in mind, we do this each and every week for you, and you, and that person over there who hasn't even heard of this show yet, but you're going to introduce them to the show, and then they're going to find out about this and go, hey, they're making this show for me. And that's what we do. Not that guy who bogarts all the french fries. No, we'll even do that for him, because I'm sure he's at home at night, by himself, listening, Mm -hmm. and saying, I sure wish I had some friends like... Matthew and Stephen and Rodrigo and, and young Zach. And guess what, listener? You do. We're here for you. And that's what we do. And I enjoy doing it. Don't you, Rodrigo? Yes. You, do you, Zach? I enjoy this time immensely. Good. Now, about to bring you all down. Oh, no. <laughs> Ant-Man has found a director. Yay! Yay! His name, his name is Peyton Reed. Who? His name is Peyton Reed. You may know him from such... Classics as Jim Carrey's Yes Man and the teenage rom comedy Bring It On. Hmm. Oh, I love that multiple times. Both, both actually fairly successful comedies. Yeah, I I enjoyed Yes Man. I thought thought there were some good moments in there. I don't know if Bring It On did well in the box office, but it's definitely become a a, a, a rewatchable classic. Oh, yeah. Neither one of them has high ratings on the performance. Well, I'm sure not. I think this this disturbs me for what? some reason. Why? Oh, and then I mean, on top of that, and then on top of that, they bring in uh, Mr. P- uh, Peyton Reed. He's probably a very nice person. I'm sure he is. Uh, but then they also bring in a scriptwriter to come in and rewrite the script um, or punch up the script, was, was which that, is which is somewhat odd. Who? who because who they bring in? rewriting is the reason why Edgar Wright left. Uh, Adam McKay. Right. So he and he was considered for the job. Of director, yeah, director a couple weeks ago, yeah, when stuff kind of hit the fan. Um, so Maybe it's interesting. They were talking, yeah, they were talking, and he was he was presumed a front runner at one point, and then he pulled out, said he was right. too busy. So it's interesting. Uh, I mean, obviously, he had he, some interest oh, in doing I, being part of the. I don't want to direct. He, I don't have time to direct yeah, your stuff, I'll just but I'll punch it. up your script for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, it depends how fast you write. In, directing a giant movie takes at least mm-hmm. a certain amount of time. You could just he could just be you, a fast writer. Yeah. And McKay did work with Paul Rudd yes. a lot. So I mean he could if they're looking for Paul Rudd be funny funny, like you would presume they would with Paul mm-hmm. Rudd, he would probably be the guy to kind of get Rudd's voice in there. I guess my Maybe concern is ex- of all the directors in all the world, when you're leaving oh Edgar Wright aside. Um Here's somebody that the last, like, five things he's done have been television movies, made-for-TV movies. Well, maybe that's exactly what you want. Maybe. What you want is somebody who's going to take what's already been done and bring it in line with Here's, Marvel. Well, he, and he, on, on the plus side, I mean, he can probably work quickly if he's working in television movie. Huh? Here's, here, here's something that I think might make you feel better. Captain America, Wonder Soldier is probably your favorite Marvel movie right now, right? Right. Uh, the Russo brothers who directed that, you know what those two directed together? What? You, me, and Dupree. Hmm. That's a terrible movie. Yes. Maybe. They, if you, if you look at their in. list of stuff, not, not action, not anything. Right, right. They did some community stuff. They did, 
a lot of stuff. I have no idea what it is. You mean Dupree is what I've heard of. That's it. See, I, I don't think it's strange that they're bringing in the script doctor with the new director. Because, I mean, we're reading a lot into what's been said, but the, the thing that Edgar Wright is saying there were creative differences, that doesn't mean they already rewrote a script. That means that there were creative differences, which may mean somebody, you know, in the higher up said, we want this script rewritten. And Edgar Wright's like, oh, no, no, I really like this script. And they're like, well, it's going to be rewritten. And Edgar Wright's like, okay, well, we need a new director. And so they go, they get their rewriter guy and they get their director guy. I think it makes, it makes perfect sense just in terms of what we, don't know, which is to say we really don't know anything. But I'll tell you that that guy has an immense thumb. I mean, seriously, Peyton <laughs> Reed's thumb is huge. <laughs> I don't know. I am, I am not as, as excited. As whole I'm not as excited about Ant-Man as I used to be. I, I mean, it's definitely it definitely well, points the hole in the sale when when the director left, especially because they had made such a big deal about him being the director. Right. 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 But that doesn't mean this isn't salvageable. I mean, sometimes you know, you see it both you see both kinds of things, right? It's like when somebody said, "Here you go, Guillermo del Toro. We'll just give you a trillion dollars to make a giant robot movie." <laughs> mm-hmm. That turned out pretty well. Right. And somebody says, "Here you go, George Lucas. We'll give you a trillion dollars to make exactly the Star Wars movie you always wanted. It turned out awful. Right. So sometimes having that restriction actually turns out to be a good thing. Sometimes the creative freedom turns out to be a good thing. You just never know until like the mix gets all thrown together. I, and I, I think what and I think a lot of disappointment is is that everyone was so excited to see. Edgar Wright superhero movie, right. not yeah. just Ant-Man super movie. They just want right. to see Edgar right. Wright do it. And so I think that's where a lot of disappointment is. I th- I think without Edgar Wright in the mix before this happens, I don't think anyone really cares that Peyton but, uh, for well, yeah. is doing, directing the movie. I don't well, think anybody's heard I, of Peyton Right. Well, yeah, people who have seen Yes Man and Bring It On. Well, well they might not have heard of it. I mean, I've have... seen both of those movies multiple yeah. times. Yeah, exactly. this guy. And in a, very, in a very real sense, Edgar Wright is a bigger name than Ant-Man. I mean, honestly, even comics fans don't have a, a real giant thing for Ant-Man. There isn't like an Ant-Man giant group out there that demand Ant-Man every month. Edgar Wright makes a movie, and there are Edgar Wright fans who want to see this. And yeah. I think that's going to lead to possibly people going, well, this Ant-Man movie is going to immediately suck because it's not what I was prepared to see. And I think that's going to be the biggest hurdle to overcome for Marvel well, is, are you going to be able to sell this to people who think they know what they were going to get with Edgar Wright? Sure. Now, Edgar Wright does uh, dark comedy, right? And so you could see a dark comedy being brought in and infused into Ant-Man. This guy does straight-up comedy comedy. And... I don't know. I don't. Maybe but, he'll do something but different. He's a director. Maybe he'll do something different. Um, but uh, I, I see. That's the thing. Is like I don't think he's gonna do. Like this guy is being brought in to make a normal movie, right? Mm-hmm. Just yeah. like a director was brought in to kind of keep, like, keep the momentum of Captain America going with Winter Soldier, mm-hmm. like. Yeah, there are things and there are shots in it that are maybe reminiscent of those, like, spy movies and stuff like that, but not terribly. I mean, the way the movie looks, the way the movie progresses, you know, the writing makes it feel like a like an old-school spy thriller, but the way that the movie looks is glossy, right. high-end, Marvel. action movie, yeah. Marvel right. stuff. Right. 
And right. I think that's what they're going to try and get with this movie. They're going to be like, you're a Hollywood guy. You can make a super polished looking movie. You're on. Bring it on. Bring it on. <laughs> I think from Marvel's perspective, it's easy to understand why you would want a Marvel movie to be the primary expectation oh, rather absolutely. than an Edgar Wright movie. Yeah, that's a good point. But I think that, you know, saying that this guy does comedy, this guy directs scripts. He doesn't write them himself. He directs the scripts based on what's on the page. We have this discussion all the time on Zach on film because I blame movies not working on Francis Ford Coppola. If his name is anywhere in the credits, even if it's just a thank you, Francis Ford Coppola, I can hate that movie safely because of Francis Ford Coppola. And I think that uh, even when I do it, it's kind of a fallacious argument because well, if you have this man a dramatic script. Here's the thing. If you're going to do a comedy, you want somebody who can direct a comedy. So you go out and you find a director who can direct comedies. If you're going to – it, it works this way in any job. If I'm looking for somebody to um, uh, run a company, I want somebody who has the business background that aligns with what I'm trying to do. So if you're – if if we read between the lines, if we have a director who is known for comedies mm-hmm. coming in to direct a movie, one would assume that there's going to be more comedy involved because this person understands comedy more than anyone else. Not just, oh, let's just pull director that- A off the shelf, slap him in there because this person's just director. Anybody can direct anything. That's not the case. Directors direct specific movies that they have a specialty in, that they have interest in that they understand and that they capture a lot better. So just saying that any director could come in and direct this movie, yeah, sure, any director could come in and direct this movie. But typically you align directors with projects that are in their wheelhouse. Yeah. But J.J. Abrams did Six Degrees of Separation. That is not a J.J. Abrams movie in the the sense of Well, every once in a while someone can – I'm not saying that people are going to be couched in that forever. And every once in a while it works. Sometimes it doesn't. But typically, you get, just like actors get typecast, directors get cast into this person's a comedy, this person's a a horror, Mm -hmm. this person is X, Y, Z. And then when they get big enough in that, you're like, you can't do Schindler's List. And he's like, yeah, huh? (laughs) Yeah. And then you get Schindler's List. Right, right, right. But Robert Altman was a comedy guy in the 70s, and then in 2001, he did Gosford Park. I mean, this is this is the thing that we get into is I don't think that because a guy directed the biggest thing we know he directed is a comedy necessarily means that he is a comedy director. Now, again, I don't know what they're going for in the Ant-Man movie. I think that based on what we've heard, they've made it clear that there were some comedy elements in play. I mean, Paul Rudd is our our lead. Paul Rudd is a comedic actor, generally speaking. True. He's known mostly for being in funny stuff. So I don't think it's that far of a leap to presume that this might be a funny movie. But again, I I don't know. That's an argument that we're never going to settle. I mean, settle. if you look at so if you if you look at uh, Guardians of the Galaxy coming out in August, Chris Pratt mm-hmm. is known for comedy. He's done other stuff. He did Hurt Locker, and he was in Her. But even in Her, he was kind of a yeah, comedic, comedic kind of person mm-hmm. in that movie. And oh, so what we've be. seen a lot of Guardians of the Galaxy seems humorous right but we have seen probably a total of maybe I, six minutes of that film i so bet far. you i that is all marketing i bet you oh, we yeah. have literally seen every joke that's going to be in that movie it's quite in the trailers and like <laughs> yeah the rest of it is going to be like straight up space adventure right like we have it's action we have seen every joke mm-hmm. um 
somebody, uh, one of my friends just very recently went to see Edge of Tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And uh, she was like, uh, this is a hilarious movie like it's a fun like there's a lot of funny stuff yeah, a lot in of it. people compared it to groundhog day it is apparently it's basically groundhog's war mm-hmm. um but you don't see that in the trailers because they're pushing it as an action movie but apparently <laughs> right. there's a lot of comedy oh in that's it. really weird i mean i always thought the comparison of groundhog day was because start this day over right over, right, over right. i didn't think there was actually f- humor in it well groundhog that's day is a dark comedy too well yeah absolutely my whole point is if this is going to be played as a comedy, mm-hmm. I'm less interested in it than if it was an action movie. Mm-hmm, I would mm-hmm. – I understand what you're coming from, but I would seriously doubt that this is played as a straight comedy. I mean if you look at Iron Man, yeah, Iron those Man, movies, there's some, has a lot of some humor. funny stuff in there. Oh, yeah, you can, have, have, you can have humor in it. So I think this will have humor in it, but I think – this will be a different role for Paul Rudd because mm-hmm. he won't be ad-libbing the whole time because I doubt they do that much in Marvel movies. I don't think they're going to be running two cameras to let him just go off and say whatever he wants to. I think he's going to have to be somewhat of an action hero that gets to be slapsticky a couple times. I will say this. I hope I'm wrong. I'm hoping that this guy comes in and knocks it out of the park because right. that's what I would love to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but right now, as it is right now, I don't feel super great about this. That's fine. We haven't even seen anything yeah. of it yet. Well, yeah. Yeah, we have. We've seen uh, Edgar Wright's sizzle, sizzle Reel, which what, rocked. Two, what, two years ago? Yes. <laughs> which he did back in 2007. <laughs> you saw it. It's just like it's yeah. disappeared. Yeah. Like the CIA yeah. took it. Here's what I am excited about. Vincent D'Onofrio cast as Wilson Fisk in the upcoming Netflix Daredevil series announced today, playing the kingpin. Yeah. He's a businessman with eyes on Hill's but, well, Kitchen. He's, he's playing not bald. Wilson Fisk. In he's the, playing in, Wilson Fisk. Yeah, yes. they, they they never mention he's playing Kingpin in any promotion or in the press release that Marvel said. Right, right. You're not but allowed Wilson, to know Wilson that Fisk, Wilson Fisk no. is the Kingpin no. of crime. Yeah. That would be great. Well, and Wilson Fisk's whole gimmick in the comics is that nobody knows he's Yeah, yeah, right. he's a he's a legit businessman. Right. That would be great though. This would be a great like viral campaign. If like Marvel put up a uh, an article that was like Vincent D'Onofrio cast as the kingpin of crime, and then like the article gets taken down, and there's like a retraction that is like, <laughs> "We're sorry for referring to Wilson Fisk as the kingpin of crime. He is definitely a legitimate businessman. Please don't kill my family." <laughs> what do you think of that? Yes, uh, but a humble importer of spice. Aren't you a fan yeah. of uh, Law and Order? Uh, I do like Law and Order. I like I like Vince Onofrio. I mm-hmm. think he does a great job. He was the cockroach in Men in Black. Right. right. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was the scary yep. monster in The Cell. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I mean, and he was in uh, uh, Criminal Intent and mm-hmm. Law and Order: Criminal Intent Forever. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, he's yeah. he's a great actor and he's a great character actor too. It's nice that they are able to have he, the funds to be able to pull in some big names. He played uh, Orson Welles very mm-hmm. briefly. In a movie, yeah. he was which one? He was Pile in um, Full Metal Jacket. Full Metal Jacket. Yeah. yeah. Is this good which, news? Matthew? I think for me, God, yes. This is good news because it means that a whoever is bankrolling these uh, Netflix series, Disney, isn't Netflix. treating it as you know. Is it Netflix? I don't well, know. I mean, Netflix is is the one. Yeah, that's, they're not that's, that's it funding as, it. And, oh, they are. And he, yeah, right. well, they and Marvel Studios okay, yeah, together. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah. here's the thing. Netflix is taking these very seriously because they have now established themselves with um, House, of cards. House of Cards that they're there as go. big a player as any pay cable channel yeah, out man. there. 
They're just as powerful right. as HBO, just as powerful as Showtime. Um, what they do next with – aren't they doing – what's the other – aren't they doing another one Orange right now? Orange, Orange is the, is the New, New Black. Black. It just came out last and week. And this one is also another one that's just blowing people mm-hmm. away. And and this is – I mean I can, we can go off on a whole tangent about sure. this is why the cable companies are lobbying to create a second tier – Second tiered internet, mm-hmm. so that they can charge people like Netflix more money, and and you can watch a graph on customer complaints and net uh, Netflix speeds when they were arguing with Comcast. It drops down, and then sure yeah. enough, as soon as they reach an agreement, Compa- yeah. Comcast oh, yeah. d- dial back ridiculous. off. Comcast and Verizon when they said that when they said we're going to pay you, make our speeds better. They yeah. all just jump through the roof. This is that is the scariest thing in the world oh, that this is happening, and and with what's going on with the patent troll with podcasting. I mean, everything that you, listener, enjoy about major spoilers is threatened by evil, greedy cable companies and stupid patent trolls. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I applaud Netflix for going forward and saying, hey, screw you guys. We've got the money to do this. Yes, we used to ship out DVDs. Now it's all online. Mm-hmm. But now we've got the money to create original content that no one else is willing to touch. And here it is. And, and each time it blows people away. And that's why I'm excited about this whole string of Marvel movies. Of any Marvel villain, for me, if you really needed somebody with gravitas to pull it off, the Kingpin is probably in the top five. I mean, yes, you got got your Doctor Doom above that, maybe your Loki, but they've already done Loki and done Loki really well. Mm -hmm. You have to have somebody behind the Kingpin that is believable as a a chess master, evil genius guy who can still pass right. as just a humble importer well, of spices, and I think D'Onofrio is excellent. Yes, and even though cool. people are already complaining that he's not bald, well, it, <laughs> he's not bald, Stephen. Not yet. Um, <laughs> There's no way around this. Here's the cool. He's thing. not bald. Here's the cool thing. They're not trying to go with some big level. I mean, the kingpin is a big level. Uh, crime boss and a big level villain in the Marvel universe, but they're not trying to go with a Doctor Doom or a Loki. They're going right. with somebody mm-hmm. who is firmly entrenched in, in the this Daredevil part of, War, yeah. of Daredevil's world. And my guess would be that we're going to see the Kingpin's character carry over into the other series as well. well that makes sense because they are kind of it the does. street level guys. Mm-hmm. Right. And I'm hoping and they're, that, they're and we all, all know the that they're all merging area. to well. The culmination is the Defenders, right? Right. That's going to be the fourth movie in, in or the fourth series in this uh, uh, project, and so it's going to all build one right after the other. Mm-hmm. So I'm super excited about this, and I'm glad that I'm a Netflix uh, uh, subscriber. If you give me a live action Nighthawk Netflix, I will buy you a house with my subscription. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure that they've bought a house already. Yeah, that's where the Netflix why, guys live. Why, <laughs> yeah, they store all those old DVDs. Why you got, yes. Why you got to step on everything? I'm trying to be so, magnanimous over here. Constantine, new trailer hit Zach. Yeah, and we got <laughs> new to trailer see hit Zach. A new trailer uh, hit Zach. I fell. And right he, and, and Zach discovered us a, a little nod to another DC character in there. Yeah, there's there's just a really quick shot of uh, Doctor Fate's uh, helmet of Naboo. And they're looking all old and cobwebby Naboo. and stuff. So that happened. I don't I, know what that means. I believe it's pronounced Nabu. 
I am uh, kind of interested in this. Um, you know, we've seen over at the CW, they're talking about maybe Nightwing coming in in this next season, Harley Quinn coming in in this next mm. season. We've got Gotham going on with uh, the introduction of all the, the young villains. Um, <laughs> but now we've got a series Gotham over Peter at a whole high. other network. And maybe they're going to start bringing in some additional characters at some point. Sure. I think that's kind of cool. And then, of course, Dr. Fate. But, right. And it, and it feels like what we've seen so far, especially like the extended look they showed after it got picked up for right. the season and this kind of quick little thing, that everything seems to be taking place within like the premiere episode. Everything that we've shown seems pretty connected. So, uh, I mean, if they're going to tip their hand to Dr. Fate in the first episode, maybe – Something well, they, you know, in uh, in Arrow, they did um, Deathstroke in the first episode um, on that yeah. Lost Island. They, they had his mask oh, hanging on there. Yeah, interesting. So it wouldn't surprise Maybe. me if they're just kind of doing a lot of that same mm-hmm. same thing throughout. But to bring other DC characters in makes That'd me wonder: awesome. Would we see a Swamp Thing? Will we see a Zatanna? Will we see uh, a young uh, what's his name uh, Books of Magic kid show up? Tim Hunter. Tim Hunter. It'd be interesting. I, my worry is that they're going to fragment the properties to the point where, you know, we, we're not going to necessarily get Tim Hunter, but we might get his non-union Mexican equivalent. Or we might get things that are, you know, referencing real, I'm actually good with this, real deep cuts of continuity where they go back and it's like, hey, look, it's Tanarak. I don't know if Tanarak is still obscure. He may be a big deal now. Well, I mean, you could but also bring it, in it, Mr. E. Mm-hmm. Phantom Stranger, Mystery, Phantom Stranger. yeah, all of those guys, oh, all those guys wearing fans. fedoras and yeah, masks, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The trench coat, there's, what were they called? The trench coat uh, brigade. What what are they called? The, in the trench comments? coat brigade. Is that what they are? You can okay. do the cult of the blood red moon. I mean, you can do all of those lunatics. You can do I vampire I mean, if you want. You can, yeah, you can do any of the magic villains from anybody. You could do mm-hmm. Abracadabra. You mm-hmm. can do. Mm-hmm. I think it's I think it's kind of cool because what if we end up with a Justice League Dark. Essentially, coming out of this series, and that's that's going to be their most accessible property, right there. Right. I would imagine if they start, if they're not following straight down the Hellblazer line, mm-hmm. we're gonna see Justice League Dark because right. that's that's what happens yeah. most, right? It's right. like I recently watched the uh, first season of the Green Lantern animated series, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it was War of the Lanterns. Yeah. I mean, it was like just. Pick, 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 pick all the stuff they like, put it into a cartoon. That's that's your show. Right. Um, plus a couple mm-hmm. other new things. But yeah, you almost certainly, if unless they are going to stick with, you know, storylines from the 80s or when did Hellblazer mm-hmm. first come out? Yeah, 80s. 1988. Right? Yeah. So mm-hmm. unless they're going to do those early stories, we are going to basically start seeing Justice League Dark, which was actually fairly successful. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. As far as canceled titles go, did it get canceled? Is it still going? Uh, I think it is uh, yeah. over. Did, oh, it's oh, over. Okay, yeah. well, there you go. There's actually, which makes it hugely successful <laughs> yeah. in the New 52. And that's, and that's what they would have to reference because they're not going to reference anything that's not part of the New 52 at this point. Sure. Uh, they right. might. And I mean, they could because, could. because I mean, Constantine not is not Superman. No. Right? That's true. So, and Arrow is not the New 52. No, Green it's Arrow. not. It's not. Yeah. But it's also not so I think Green Arrow that, either. So. Right, right. But that's not the point. It, it features it's a Green Arrow. Sure, mm-hmm. sure. But if, if you look at, you know, just the number of guys, you could, I mean, you could do Amethyst. You could do the Parliament of Trees. You could do 
tons of interesting stories. If you got really frugy, you could theoretically tie into Vertigo properties like Sandman, presuming it's even mm-hmm, possible, mm-hmm. and the rights aren't tied up somewhere. I mean, you could turn this series into just an utter continuity cluster schmas, which I'm sure the, I'm sure the rights are tied up. I am certain that at any given point, somebody's optioning Sandman. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Wasn't it rumored a couple months ago that Justice League Dark would get turned into a Warner Brothers movie? Yes. Yeah, with Benicio Del Toro, wasn't it? Yes. Mm-hmm. He was the one talking it up. Yeah. So if this is your setup to four seasons in a movie or whatever, Six then seasons <laughs> in a movie. there you go. Listen, I was going to say, that, that team's already had like 15 different members in 20 issues. Yeah, Listeners, yeah. you can head over to Majorspoilers.com. You can check out these stories and more. While you're over there, check out the Phoenix Comic-Con Cosplay Gallery. Uh, Jason Inman was over there over the weekend and uh, took a bunch of pictures. Just some really great cosplay over there at that event. Um, Speaking of Jason, uh, he does another podcast that's now part of the uh, Major Spoilers Podcast Network, Geek History Lesson. You want to find out about a specific character. Uh, The most recent one that I listened to was Professor X. Mm -hmm. And they go in and they give a really good history lesson about him in about uh, 30 minutes to an hour. Uh, so it's a really good conversation that he does with Ashley V. Robinson. Speaking of, we're going to have her on in a little bit to talk about uh, what she does. Um, she's got some very interesting things going on. And um, if you are a VIP member over at members.majorspoilers.com, just a quick reminder that this weekend, Saturday, uh, we will be doing a VIP live chat. It'll be Zach, Rodrigo, and myself chatting with uh, with our gold members. So you can be a part of that. And if you're over there, you can check out the brand new bonus tracks for June. Big Trouble in Little China. That's where you sit down and watch the movie Big Trouble in Little China. And you can listen to us provide commentary throughout the entire movie. Give you a heads up. Zach's never seen the movie. I never have. And uh, it gets interesting. (laughs) It's all part of Majorspoilers.com. All part of us uh, bringing you new content each and every day. Let us get to some reviews. So, out last week from uh, Top Cow, Witchblade 175, Matthew, this is a um, um, bonus-sized issue of yes, uh, Witchblade. Yes, giant, super, giant. One of those anniversary, anniversary, one of those big big number issues. Yeah, 175. Well, I don't know if I'd call 175 a big number issue, but it is definitely something worth noting. A milestone if you had said issue. to me in 19... Yeah, if you said to me in 1996... 20 years from now, is Witchblade still going to be around? Cynical, hateful me would have gone, Pshaw, wacky Pshaw person. But Witchblade 175, and I think it's been yeah, I would mostly have put my, monthly. I would have put my money on, what is it, Dark Child? No. No, you wouldn't. Yeah. <laughs> you well, if I had to, ch- your, if it was a toss-up between Witchblade and Dark Child, I would have gone with Dark Witch Child. Child and Dark Child. Mm. I would go with Witchblade because Dark Child was... You know, and the fans of Dark Child now are, are listening with bated breath to hear me say that I feel like Dark Child may be a knockoff of Witchblade. Uh, Witchblade kicked off a wave, and Dark Child was definitely it. in it. Yep. Yeah. And that, that wave was kicked off. This is, as Steven said, a double-sized, flippy-dippy anniversary issue. And it's interesting to me because I haven't really read Witchblade regularly in ever but I'm familiar enough with the concept, kind of, you know, the same way if I were to jump into, say, the, the latest issue of Nightwing and just say, okay, here I am, pick it up. This issue is the big celebration issue. And I really, really liked a couple of things in this story. 
Now, I'm not entirely certain, but I think in our first story, um, she is no longer working in the New York City Police Department. She's actually the sheriff of a small town police department, Mm -hmm. which I think is really, really awesome. There is some business with the Council of Witchblades, which is a concept that they really kind of had to do, uh, where all of the Witchblades past can commune with her in her mind. Mm -hmm. And throughout the first story, without feeling like, uh, here's how we got here and here's how we got here, it really works as a strong celebration of the character, an explanation, what you call, you know, the marketing people would call a good jumping on point. Because it has Sarah Pizzini in it, Sarah Pizzini doing Sarah Pizzini things, talking to the embodiment of her witchblade. The witchblade actually, you know, turns into an anthropomorphized thingamathingama creature. And at the end of the story, she and the witchblade have come to terms with some terrible things that have happened. And they're agreeing to be witchblade and work witchblady together. And it's, it's kind of cool. Ron Mars wrote the uh, first story. Really like the art on that first story, especially the parts where you see the Witchblade. I was not a big fan of the artifacts, um, the the wide-ranging artifacts thing where there's like 16 different Witchblades. And there's a red one and a blue one and a green one. And it basically turned into the War of Light only with, you know, these weird metallic objects. Second story. Yeah, kind of like that. Second story is a flashback to a previous Witchblade. In the year 1633 in Japan. It's okay. It's kind of a, you know, again, Ron Mars with the writing. It's kind of a throwaway story. Beautiful art, though. And uh, one of the things that I know the Witchblade for is the fact that Witchblade generally means a pretty girl covered in really, really, you know, small armor. And this actually sells that because there's a two-page sequence of the Witchblade of 1633 transforming from just, you know, a woman in a kimono to a fully armored samurai warrior. And it's particularly awesome. Love the art on the story. Not a whole lot going in on the story. I guess I shouldn't say it like that. It is a simple tale of one of the previous Witchblades. And then, of course, we get to our last story. And I think, uh, full disclosure, Stephen, this last story is written by uh, Ashley Robinson, Um, who is uh, a person. I think she wrote the second story. No, she wrote the last story because I'm looking right at the page. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Um, anyway, <laughs> Ashley Robinson, uh, one of our associates, wrote the last story. And it's actually kind of fun, too, in that it takes place from the perspective of Sarah's partner. Her, um, What's the word I'm looking for? When you have a police person and you go out, is it just the partner? Okay. Yeah, yeah it's their partner. Yeah, partner. But, yeah. It's a, it's a cool first-person narrative, and again, when you get down to it, in an anniversary issue, what you want is something that kind of emblemizes what the character is about. And I really like the last story. I especially like the last scene. It's really cute, really cool, and it ends on a strong note for both the character and the partner. All in all, this is a, an impressive issue. I am not someone who goes in and says I'm a huge fan of Witchblade, but this is a strong book. This is a strong issue. I'm going to go four slices of meatloaf overall. It's a good issue. It's got some good stories in it. And it really makes me appreciate what the character is, you know, 20 years down the line. If you, like I occasionally do, uh, ignore Witchblade or kind of throw the character aside as part of that bad girl wave of 1996, 
the character really has grown and developed way beyond that stuff, which I very much appreciate. I really do, you know, have to look at this and go, okay, I kind of like that. I don't know if it's an issue that's going to make me pick up Witchblade Monthly, but it's definitely one that makes me respect what they've done with the character. And you have to look at 175 consecutive issues. That's, that's successful. I mean, there aren't a lot of books that are up that high, especially independent titles these days. Mm-hmm. So that's impressive to me. Four out of five slices. Of cool. Witchblade 175 out last week from uh, Top mm-hmm. Cow. Also out last week, Zach. Yes. Miles Morales Ultimate Spider-Man number two. Yes. So I'm jumping back in to the Ultimate Universe with Miles Morales because he is my rock in the, uh, the Ultimate Universe. He's what I go to <laughs> if I really want my fix. And so, uh, like I talked in whatever, the new Ultimates a couple weeks ago. Yes. Uh, Galactus kind of did something to New Jersey. Uh, Captain America is dead. And uh, I re- went back and read the first issue of the series. And guess who is back in the Ultimate Universe, Stephen? Uh, Peter Parker. Peter Parker is back. What? He showed up at the very end. Uh, yeah, I showed of, up at the end of uh, uh, issue number one issue from one. Miles Morales. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's what a, a large chunk of issue two uh, tries to deal with. Why is Miles Morales back? And, oh, you mean Peter Parker? No, yeah, Peter Parker. Why is Peter Parker back? And uh, what does that mean for Miles? So Miles, uh, he told his dad before Galactus eight New Jersey that he was Spider-Man. He got mad and ran away. So Miles has been coming back to his apartment to check to see if his dad is returned and to get some few things shows up. Uh, issue one, Peter's there He's trying to deal with it now in issue two where the fact they kind of fight miles freaks out. He's like, what are you doing? Why are you alive? Why am I doing this Spider-Man thing? If you're just here, why aren't you doing it? We just had a memorial for you. Have you told aunt may yet? What is wrong with you? Peter Parker. They fight because they're both kind of angsty teens. I don't know. Peter Parker really wasn't that old when he died in the no, Marvel Universe. Yeah, he was like know. 16, 18, something like that. Yeah. Uh, looks about the same age. Miles about that same age now. So they fight. Uh, Peter steals his web shooters because that's what he was kind of there for. He did not like that Miles had his web shooters. Or, or that was being Spider-Man, period. Uh, Clone Saga. Yes. Miles gets knocked out by Peter. He wakes up and just starts yelling clone. Mainly because there have been reports of these two Spider-Man-like uh, figures who have been robbing some stuff. Uh, they they get played up again. And that we don't see who they are, but they're certainly Spider-Man-like with the poses and the way they fight. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, Spider-Woman in uh, the Ultimate Universe is, is a clone, is a clone of, of, of Peter, Peter Parker. Parker. Right. So it wouldn't be that far of a stretch to get, uh, what, was the, what was the guy's name? Ben Riley. Ben Riley. Uh, in in the Ultimate Universe, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. so I never heard the Clone Saga before. Oh I'm, well, I'm young. I'm young man. Well, yeah, it's happened twice now. <laughs> <laughs> so at least twice. If you don't at least want, twice, if yes. you don't want to read that again, you don't probably want to read Miles Morales. Uh, I like I like the character because he's kind of dealing with Spider Man like things. He has a girlfriend. He's trying to figure out. If he should tell her that mm-hmm. he's Spider-Man, just mm-hmm. kind of like Peter had to do with MJ. Uh, and I, I really like his friend, uh, Genki. Yeah. He, he's an interesting character who kind <laughs> of is really savvy to superheroes and comics in general and just kind of calls it out as it's happening in the book. You know who he reminds me of? He reminds me of the little kid from Up. 
Oh. And just in his mannerisms and the way that he acts and kind of his mental age seems to all kind of align with Mm -hmm, that kid. mm -hmm. And so I actually really like this book. I really like Miles Morales when he was first introduced into the Ultimate Universe. Uh, My only problem with this and his previous issues is I always feel like the Marvel issues are too short to justify a $4.99 price tag. But then I read Miles' books and I think they're great as a standalone. I don't really have any desire to do anything else in the Ultimate Universe. I really just like his character. So I will probably keep reading that even though paying the $4 for like 20 ish pages uh kind of stings every once in a while but i really like this issue and i'm interested to see uh what happens personally with miles Mm because i think there's some interesting things happening there and what happens with the whole peter parker lot of clones thing yeah yeah yeah. Uh, so i'm gonna give this uh uh three and a half slices of meatloaf okay not bad yeah that was out last week last week um also out last week journey Volume two, number one. Or isn't that what it is? Yeah, Journey. Yes. From uh, Aspen Comics. Yeah. Spelled J I R N I. Right. Uh so well, you've talked about this series. I have, before. I have. I've read mm-hmm. I've read issues before. Um from the first volume. Uh Journey is basically a Conan type story, mm-hmm. a Red Sonia type story. Uh, if you are into voluptuous, scantily clad purple girls, this is definitely going to be the uh, the book that you should be picking up once a month. You had me right up until purple girls. Eh, it's okay. <laughs> no, it's fine. Um, uh, and and really, that is what sets the book apart. Is kind of that purple girl, but uh, and I'll get to that in a second. Uh, This is the first issue of the second volume. Basically, at the end of the first volume, uh, the main character was this close to achieving that thing she wanted to achieve, and then it was taken from her at the last second Yeah, by the bad style guy. Um, So she is now embarking on another journey uh, to to track down her nemesis and rescue her mom is basically the... And noble. The, the premise of the book. Uh, it's quest. nice in that sense because it's a lady who is trying to rescue another lady, you know, mm-hmm. um, uh, with with the slight uh, issue that very frequently women protagonists have familial um, oh, right, right, right. Uh, goals, mm-hmm. whereas a lot of the time male protagonists don't. Right. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. Um, but yes, at least it's like this. this book is kind of all about the girls, which is nice. Um, what does set this book apart from your Red Sonias and your Conans and, and that sort of thing is, uh, Paolo Pantalena's art, which is very specific and very cool. Mm-hmm. A lot of the design and the fact that the book is, has a lot more, uh, Middle Eastern influences. Right. Um, it's very, uh, Thousand and One Nights is kind of like the, the, the frosting on top of it yeah, instead yeah, yeah. of like a Hyborian uh, meringue or like a medieval, uh-huh. um, I don't know, custard. Right. Uh, this is this is kind of a thousand and one nights flavored uh, ongoing adventure uh, thing. Um, but also uh, kind of as a downside to a certain degree 
is the story much like Conan, much like Red Sonja, of this like hyper capable protagonist mm-hmm. who only ever briefly ever seems to be endangered because she's so good at everything. Right. Um so, you know, you kinda have to deal with that. Uh the book has a brief recap of the last volume. But I'd recommend you know, if you if you pick this up and you like it, I'd recommend picking up the first volume because the art is always this good. Mm-hmm. Um just really solid, really pretty, really bright. You know, the yeah, colors the are colors are really the colors saturated. Are super bright. Yeah. Um so if you if you want that, if you want a book that looks like candy to to a certain degree, um uh, journey is is definitely it uh i have a lot of good things to say about it not a lot of bad things to say about it other than this is going to feel familiar like this is hero like straight up hero's mm-hmm. journey like lone traveler sometimes picks up a companion sometimes gets on a pirate ship sometimes punches a camel yeah like it's it's kind of that um but other than that in a sea of books like that journey stands out in that it has different influences and a different look. Okay. So cool. I'm going to give it uh, four slices of meatloaf. All right. Uh, it's a it's a good, fun read, and you'll get through it real quick, and uh, you get to see her gut some pirates. Hey, getting pirates always a good thing, right? Right. Yes. Yar. Yar. All right. Yar, I disagree. Yar. <laughs> uh, out this week from Image Comics is the new issue of Starlight from Mark Miller and uh, Goran Parlov. And I didn't think that this series was going to get continue to get better with each issue. And yet it has. Um, last issue, um, our hero landed on the planet and he went in and he kicked some butt. And sadly, because of his age and because of a poor driver on the uh, – what is it? Tantalus's uh, – highway system he got run over and captured and is imprisoned while in prison we open up with him talking to a 50s hipster alien because the signals are just now reaching their planet from earth and so he's really absorbed into this alien culture daddy oh <laughs> and so it, it really kicks off with um it kicks off with uh, duke talking to this kid about essentially tom cruise and it's a real kind of a reference to to tom cruise and his love life and and everything uh, there on out there is a prison break. We do get to meet the uh, one of the big bads uh, in this issue. But there's a prison break to get them all out because Duke's going to be executed because there's no way that you can have an old hero return when you are the emperor. Uh, emperor's name is Kingfisher um, to undermine and, and uh, cause the populace to rise up against you. So they escape and they escape in a neat way. And again, it, it – uh, more so here ties into some more of maybe some of the John Carter stuff, um, but certainly still with the jetpacks that they're flying around with still very much in the Flash Gordon universe uh, as far as the homage to this story. And it ends in a nice little cliffhanger moment where Duke does take the rebels and, and gets them all riled up. But then there turns out to be a bad guy hidden amongst their ranks. And it's not a, a huge <laughs> surprise, but uh and this this story just kind of hits on a lot of really cool emotional moments. Here's Duke, this guy that I've talked about before. No one believed him on Earth when he went back. The only person that believed him was his wife. His kids don't even believe him. And now he's been brought back to this planet. He hates what it's become. And yet here are people that actually look up to him and still regard him, you know, 80 years later as, as a huge hero. And he's he's willing to step up and, and do that. And I just can't wait to see what happens next in 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 Starlight. 
this is a good book and this is a whole good series. Pick them up. Um, if you're picking them up in the digital format, you know, last month's issue is now only $1.99 instead of the, the $2.99 or $3.99, what it, uh, what it is now. I really like this story. And this is not your – if you read it, you wouldn't know that it's Mark Miller. You know, it's not a lot of – okay, last issue <laughs> uh, when Duke is fighting off these two cops, uh, just nails a guy right in, right in the balls. Um, and that's about as, as, as rough as it gets. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you're not seeing a lot of bloody violence. There's not curse words going on. There's not breaking down of the fourth wall. Um, everything that you kind of despise about Mark Miller – He's not doing here. And this is almost like a love letter to um, maybe his childhood. I don't know if he loved Flash Gordon growing up, but this certainly feels like this is my homage. I just love this so much. I'm going to treat this with respect. And this is a good book. This is a five out of five slices of meatloaf book. Starlight number four out this week from Image Comics. What were you going to say, Rodrigo? Uh, You got to wonder if if Miller isn't just in the business of doing very – like strong homages you know you could you could argue that kick-ass was mm-hmm. was kind of like a tipping of the hat of like when comic books started getting really violent in right, the 80s right, and right. 90s uh, i think he did that x-men 1980 something mm-hmm. didn't he well that was that was miller wasn't it uh, probably um which is ju- or either x-men or marvel 1985 1985 yeah was it marvel 1985 yeah. is that what it was it was, which, yeah. Which, which is just like all of his favorite comic book heroes from when yeah. he was a kid, like coming out into the real world, mm-hmm, kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I mean, he 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 does that. Yeah, and 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 it was a book with a different flavor. It was weird, but it was a it was it was a different thing. It wasn't kick ass, and it wasn't you know. This wanted. is this is a straight up serial adventure, mm-hmm. and it's it's great. And I think listeners, you would enjoy it if you picked it up. The art is fantastic. It kind of reminds me a little bit of uh, uh, what's his name, Mobius, a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, Ooh, and I mean, it doesn't have the fine little dots and details in it, but a lot of the architecture and alien clothing feels very reminiscent of that. Um, so uh, you might get a kick out of it that way. Just an all-out, straight-up good book. Uh, so those are our reviews this week, listeners. You can head over to majorspoilers.com. There are more reviews over there. I promise you, you can go look them up. And while you're over there at Major Spoilers, perhaps you'd like to partake in this week's Major Spoilers Poll of the Week. Poll of the Week, 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 Week. And the Poll of the Poll of the Week, Week, Week. And the Poll of the Poll of the Week, Week, So last week, we put Hermione Granger up against Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Everyone said that Hermione was the much better witch or the much better magician. So this week... Brightest witch of her age. Brightest witch of her age. So this week... We're putting uh, the poor little girl up against Scarlet Witch and asking you who's going to emerge victorious in a magic battle. Matthew? Well, this is a tough one because you're looking at the, for me, almost the exact same arguments as last week in that the Scarlet Witch channels like three different kinds of magic plus has her mutant power, which messes with probability that ties into her magic. Um, she's not as raw powerful as Sabrina, but she has the ability like Sabrina to adjust reality pretty much on the the macro level. Um, whereas Hermione is still a brilliant young witch who works by the rules of magic in her universe. And I think that something I didn't touch on last week is, does this take place on Hermione's turf 
And if so, does magic work by her level? But again, another thing. I went with the Scarlet Witch because the Scarlet Witch is a seasoned Avenger uh, who is ridiculously powerful. And of course, I also went with Sabrina last week for uh, the ridiculously powerful part without the seasoning. But I think that the Scarlet Witch has the edge just based on the sheer mutability and uh, versatility of the abilities that she has. I mean, she could, you know, just like, I'll shut off Hermione's magic. <laughs> no more magic. <laughs> is what she will say. Yeah, I went with Scarlet Witch, too, because I just think that she has I think she's I think she's infinitely more powerful than Sabrina. And I think that she her experience and the fact that she can just warp reality at a whim and uh, make everyone forget that there were, you know, making all the mutants go away or, or whatever. Uh, she has that kind of power that Hermione doesn't, uh, even though Hermione might be well-educated, might be more trained. I think in this case, it's more of a Scarlet Witch flick of the finger and Hermione goes yeah. down. Zach, what about you? Yeah, it was Scarlet Witch too, but based on not so much magic, uh, what they can do there, but I feel like since these are essentially posed as fights, I feel like Scarlet Witch would have the upper hand in a fight being trained by, you know, Having big, big Avengers fighting experience. people, Avengers and everyone. Yeah. And Hermione um, is very good at, like, the practical, like, an education. I'm really under, I under have a fundamental understanding of magic. Yeah. The, the the I mean they were trained in magic and combat a lot by themselves and a lot through really shady teachers teaching them dark arts. That's kind of how they got <laughs> uh, taught their combat. So I think that the Scarlet Witch's battle training would prove the winning factor in this one. Big Jim says going against conventional wisdom here. Conventional wisdom here. Hermione does have some baggage, but not nearly as much as the Scarlet Witch. So I think that Hermione wouldn't have flashbacks every time something else happened. So I think it would be close. But in the end, Hermione, a very narrow four to, four to three win. Pierce says, given that what we've seen from Wanda and her reality warping abilities, not to mention her other powers, she is both powerful and unpredictable. I think she simply says no more rowlings and poof. There you go. Rodrigo, what do you say? Uh, it's. Like I think the 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 fight would go a very different way depending on which Scarlet Witch you're talking about, and that's important mm -hmm. because there's basically two major kinds of Scarlet Witch. Right. There's the running around, zapping things with her zappy bolts, with her hexes, mm -hmm. and trying to decide between her cosmic boyfriend and her robot boyfriend. Yeah. Um. And then there's the Scarlet Witch that is basically a reason for something ridiculous to happen in the Marvel Universe. Um, <laughs> interestingly, I kind of feel that both of those would go to Hermione because in a straight-up fight, Hermione's pretty good about avoiding direct attacks and kind of sneaking around and, you know, basically doing what needs to be done without engaging directly. Um, the other Scarlet Witch, the Scarlet Witch that's just a giant NPC, um, you know, uh, basically Hermione could distract her long enough for Wolverine to kill her. <laughs> Hermione and Wolverine coming next yes. week on the WB. That's right. Ryan says, I voted for Scarlet Witch as well, but only because darn Marvel made her powers near Omega level when she's sane 
and one of the most dangerous people on the planet when she's closer to insanity and Hermione can't deal with that either way. Russ Cat says, is the Scarlet Witch actually a magic-y type character? Does she have a power set beyond her mutant abilities? I know that Wanda's powers can be pretty OP depending on the writer, but Rowling's verse magic can do some pretty stupendous things as well. I vote Hermione with a well-timed Obliviate spell. Um, let's see. Uh, Stark says, I voted Sabrina last week. Her main weakness in that poll was that Hermione is far more popular and not as many people follow Archie. Uh, Cat Halo says, you and me against the world. Uh, Spider Lover says, Sky- Scarlet Witch can warp reality. Miss Granger could go mean and make fun of Scarlet for being nuts like uh, her dad. <laughs> nope. On second thought, it's all Scarlet Witch for this win. Listeners, you can head over to Major Spoilers and you can read some comments. You can share your own comments and you can vote in the Major Spoilers poll of the week. Matthew, how's everything stack up right now? Showing 118 votes right now. And in an interesting inversion of last week, 76% Scarlet Witch, 24% Hermione, a 3-to-1 battle. I believe last week it was roughly 4-to-1, 80-20, Hermione over Sabrina. I'd be interested on where people would fall on the matter of Scarlet Witch versus Sabrina. But since Sabrina was knocked out in the first round. Yes. You know, next week. Well, I wonder how, you know, Hermione has taken taken on Archie Comics. And mm-hmm. now she's taking on mm-hmm. Marvel comics. Oh, I wonder who right. she could be taking on next week. Oh, we'll have to tune in to major spoilers. From uh, Harvey <laughs> All right. Uh, we are going to jump into our interview in just a moment. But before we do that, I wanted to give a shout out to tweakedaudio.com. You want to head over to tweakedaudio.com. They've got some great headphones, some great earbuds, some great earplugs. Uh, they've got a bunch of different styles, a bunch of different colors. They've got that optional microphone, which I totally love. They're designed for great music and for talk. They're engineered for durability, noise-reducing design. Best of all, listeners, when you go over to tweakedaudio.com and you use the checkout code MAJOR, you get 30% off the price. That's MAJOR. That's the checkout code over at tweakedaudio.com. We thank Tweaked Audio for their support. One of the nice things about doing the Major Spoilers podcast and doing the whole Major Spoilers experience is is running into many, many interesting people. And some of them actually end up working for the Major Spoiler site, such as today's guest, Ashley Victoria Robinson. Greetings. Hi. (laughs) So first, let's get this out of the way. You're Canadian. I am. We're not going to hold that against you. You burn me all you want. I've got free health care, so it'll be okay. (laughs) (laughs) So what part of Canada are you from? The, The bad part of Canada? Uh, I don't know if there is are there, bad is, parts. I was going to say, is there any are there any parts of Canada that are bad, like Detroit or something, some place where no one would want to go visit? Uh, probably not. I know there's about eight gun deaths a year, so it's a it's a pretty safe country. The north is probably not the best. It's freezing cold. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. What what part are you but, from? Um, I grew up in Ontario, ah. which is you know like where Toronto is. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. I was I was an army brat, so I've moved now about twelve times. I don't really like have a hometown. Which is kind of weird. Um, but my mom lives in Atlantic Canada now, so she lives about as far away from me as possible, but still on the same continent. She lives in where? Atlantic Canada? What did you yeah, say? Yeah, like further further east than the United States goes. Oh, uh, she lives oh, in a oh, province oh. called New Brunswick. Okay, okay. But no uh, most people haven't ever heard of it if they're not Canadians. So. Yeah, yeah. Okay, all right. So now yeah. we have a frame of reference for that. So, yeah, now you know. Yeah, no. I, you know, I actually thought about moving up to Canada. Oh, it was probably about a decade ago. To Toronto or no, Vancouver? not Toronto, just um, um, Ontario. Yeah, yeah, that's where all the where, industry is. Yeah, that's where I was going to just go there and and do a bunch of stuff, and it was cheaper than living in the United States and tax benefits and free health care and all that stuff. So, 
yeah, man, it's awesome. Yeah. And the uh, <laughs> housing was super cheap, too, at, at the time. I don't know. What it's t- like I don't anymore. know if it is anymore. Yeah. There was a time where you could buy for what I'm paying for a house now. You could buy a whole like chateau. <laughs> i think i've heard you talk about that before yeah, yeah, yeah. it was it was quite, it was quite a quite a deal so let's ask a, a real easy question uh to start sure. off do you remember what your first comic book was i don't know if i remember it specifically but i remember the first one i ever purchased like with intent okay um it was an issue of the new teen titans and i'm remiss right now and not knowing the exact issue but it's got uh, it's got Dick Grayson on the cover and Wally West, and it's a white cover, right? White background, and all the pieces of their uniform are like hanging off over the letter and the logo because oh, it's God. when they they step away from the team. Yeah. So yeah. anything that had Robin on it, I wanted, and it looked really sad and really important. So that are was the first one I ever I ever consciously purchased. Are you a huge Robin fan? I am, but yeah. Tim Drake is my favorite Robin. Oh, okay. <laughs> so okay. So is there a difference then between between Robins? Or does it matter at all? No, there's a huge difference between Robins. Because some <laughs> people I are just to. like, well, I'm a Robin fan. Oh, well, are you a Dick Grayson fan? Are you a Tim Drake fan? Or, you know, whatever. And they're just like, no, I like Robin. Yeah, which that's fine. You know, that's totally, totally valid. But Tim Drake, um, I liked him because he was the super smart kid. And mm-hmm. he was also really sad. I have a, a penchant for like sad characters. And Tim, of all the Robins, maybe with Jason as an exception, kind of has the most tragic story. So it's always the one that I liked the most. And I grew up in the 90s, so I kind of grew up with him. Now, so he was my analog that I identified with more than uh, Dick or Jason. That, now, that's a question I was going to have because I was listening to uh, the Geek History Podcast, which you and yeah. Jason Inman host. And it's also now part, part of Major Spoilers. That's right. I'm <laughs> super glad to have it on here. And I forget which issue I was uh, listening to. Maybe it was the Professor X one. I was listening to today and you were talking about you were born in night in the nineties. I was, I was born in 1990. So, so you probably then don't remember, or maybe you have gone back and read, you know, the introduction of, of Tim Drake into the Batman universe, which I found super fascinating because at the time, you know, Nightwing was out doing his thing. And for me, Batman was just doing his thing. And this was uh, right after the death of, of Jason Todd. Yeah. Not too long after. And there wasn't a whole lot going on. And suddenly here's this rich neighbor, you know, next door to the Waynes and their and their super smart kid. I really their got little, into their little nine year old. Yeah, I really got into Tim Drake as as one of the, as Robin and as a character. And, and I would say he's probably my favorite as well. Yeah. And I think if you're a Tim Drake fan, too, then the new 52 um, smarts a little bit more because they've taken away a lot of the things that made him cool. Like he was never a Robin now and right. he never deduced who uh, Dick and Bruce were in, in, in a more meaningful way, I guess. Yeah. And yeah, well, I haven't read a whole lot of uh, Batman or Bat family stuff in the new 52 since they've launched. I, I went for about, I was it six months or so and then just kind of yeah, drifted but- away from it. Occasionally, I'll read the, the Snyder uh, Batman, but that's about it. The, uh, the first 12 issues of the Red Robin series are really good, and Francis Manipole does the covers, so they're stunning. Cool. Uh, yeah. So go, go pick them up on the Comixology, then, you think? You think I'd enjoy it? Yeah, definitely. Because I really didn't like how, the, how his character ended at the end of, of uh, the old DC universe, you know, where he basically scarred and, and burnt and, yeah. and burned around as, and, in that character, in that, in that mask and cowl. Well, the, the Red Robin series picks up... Um, and it's, it's Tim trying to, uh, convince everyone that Bruce is still alive. It's part of mm. that whole Batman, like R.I.P. Right, right, storyline. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
And that's really interesting because he winds up working as an agent of Raz al Ghul or Ra's al Ghul, however you want to pronounce that. And it's really cool to watch him kind of go around and, and have to walk a moral gray zone that normally the Robin characters don't have to walk. Yeah. And that, that is kind of a, a plus there. Yeah. I guess. I'll, I'll go back and check it out. Uh, uh, fair enough. I will, I will go check it out. Yeah, let me know. Okay, I will. Have you guys done a geek <laughs> history on uh, on Robin yet? No, we're, we have Nightwing coming up in our next um, – we plan about four or five uh, upcoming episodes at a time. Mm-hmm. And we try, to, we try to tie them in with uh, current events either in you know books, comics, video games, TV, movies. So with the Nightwing series ending, that seemed really appropriate. So we're going to do um, all of Dick Grayson probably. And we'll get to Tim – we'll get to him eventually. It, but well, we're waiting for, for the opportune moment. And I guess because I've only been listening to a few of them so far – I mean, it was yeah. just a great show that I just uh, just blew me away from from the start. It seems a lot of uh, some of the earlier ones are more Marvel based than DC based, or, or do you guys try to keep it fairly even? Uh, we try to keep it even, but it really sort of you know depends on what's around. Like Marvel's putting out a lot more movies, so mm-hmm. that makes it a lot easier for us to have you know content to tie into. Sure, 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 sure. So but then Arrow's yeah. going to come back, so we'll touch on that. Oh yeah, yeah, that's coming back this fall, and. Supposedly, we're going to see a Nightwing in there. I really hope so. In the second, the second or third episode of the first season, they referenced Bloodhaven and they mm-hmm. referenced it again uh, this season. And the writers have come out and said that they're huge fans of Nightwing and, and that storyline where he goes to Bloodhaven and he yeah. becomes a cop. So I would love, love, love to see that. That is one of my favorite Nightwing uh, arcs is when he does the whole Bloodhaven police officer getting involved with the tarantula and all of that stuff. Yeah, me too. It's so good. Yeah, yeah. Well, we have a lot of the same likes as far as as far as the uh, as far as Nightwing and Robin goes. But you have also worked comic book shops, right? I have. I worked. Uh, I worked at a comic book shop. I live in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't hold it against me, please. No, I lived in California um, before too. So that's right. <laughs> um, I worked at a shop when it had just opened um, in the neighborhood North Hollywood uh, called Blast Off Comics. It's still mm-hmm. there. So that was a really, it was my first, uh, it was my first like day job outside of university after I graduated. And that was really, really cool. And when you're a girl and you work in a comic book shop, you're basically God. It's pretty great. <laughs> well, you know, we ha- we hear stories both good and bad about um, female employees in comic shops or just yeah. you know, uh, women customers in general. Do you have more positive stories or more more negative stories when it comes to that regard? From my experience as the employee, I have a lot more positive um, experiences. It was just me and the owner who were working there at the time. Mm. Um, He was super friendly. He treated me really, really well. And he was really smart. He had a lot of focus on the growing female audience in comics and bringing them in and facilitating a really friendly environment. But I've had a, a lot more negative experiences as a customer. And that might be because... Like I said, I live in Los Angeles and I've lived here for a few years and there is a lot of comic book stores and some of them don't know how to provide that sort of environment. So, so well, so what kind of environment are we looking at? You give me some examples of what makes a um, women friendly store or female friendly store uh, a comic book store or is there even so, is there even anything that you can do? I think there is. And I think a lot of it is you have to know that most women and I hate this stereotype, but it's true. Most women are coming into a comic book store because they're there with uh, their son, their father, their boyfriend, their husband, their friend. Mm -hmm. Like there's a lot more women coming in sort of as the attache than as as the person who really wants to you know, be there and be a part of that culture. And it's making them interested and it's offering them options instead of just 
sort of leaving them by the wayside. And I found in my experience that women tend to gravitate more towards the more slice of life comics, like a lot more independent based things. And I think if you can provide that sort of thing, like not making it all big too, which I think is just sort of a generally good idea for comic book stores Mm -hmm. and presenting them with stuff that's accessible where they can see it's like with media uh, in general, where you can see part of your own self in what you're being presented with, then you'll bring in a lot more readers and making it a safe space and just engaging them. I think is all it takes, but there are a lot, there's the, the dying stereotype of the comic book store where you walk in and the clerk doesn't engage you because you're beneath them. And I think it really just starts with talking to people but then being able to present them with something that they recognize that doesn't seem too, too foreign. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know. Maybe it's just personal difference. I know whenever I go into a comic book shop, I appreciate the hello. If there's anything we can help you with, just let us know. But yeah. I don't like the people that just like come out from behind the counter and stand right next to me and are like, oh, yeah, so be your you're best looking friend. at so-and-so. Maybe you should come and take a look at this book or maybe uh, here, take this book. And it's like, well, I'm just really here for this. So there's, I think there's an interesting balance that a shop owner has to do or, or an employee has to do when people walk into the store, whether they're a regular customer or a new customer. Yeah. And I think when you work there for a longer time, you get to know who's a little bit confused Mm -hmm. and who totally knows what they're doing. And you can, you know, like you said, like just touch base and be like, cool, like you go do your thing. And I'm going to go over here to the girl who's a little bit frightened. (laughs) or like the little kid who doesn't quite know which books he can look at right so what are some some uh tactics or what are some some tips that you employed at the at the store to encourage more um female customers one of the things that i did and this i can't take credit for like instinctively knowing how to do this like i was taught how to do this right um uh when people would come in especially if they were looking for something but they didn't know where to start like they're like oh i've seen the show or i read a review of this book and i think i might be interested in it but i don't know it's a lot of well what do you read what do you watch what are mm-hmm. things you like if you really like you know if someone says i love lord of the rings and i love harry potter then it's a lot easier to hand them maybe fables or mm-hmm. Neil Gaiman's like book of magic. Right. Whereas, you know, maybe handing them a Deadpool story would be a mistake. <laughs> but if someone comes in and they're like, I love Transformers and I love the Fast and the Furious, you're like, cool, let me show you everything that Mark Millar has ever written. Mark Miller. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Well, well, I always do Mark Millar too. So there you go. Um, yeah. So how long did you work at a comic book shop? Uh, pardon me? How long did you work at the comic book shop? I worked there for just about a year, and then I'm also ostensibly out in California to be an actor and a writer, just like everybody else. Mm-hmm. And I just got more and more scheduling conflicts, and that's why I had to leave it. Not because I didn't love it, but having a nine to five is really difficult when you want to leave at twelve to go to a big commercial audition. Yeah, it's such a first world problem. How how is that going? It's going pretty well. <laughs> um, I've been I've been out of school and working in the industry, quote unquote. Uh, for just about two years, I have a web series coming out probably around July called mm-hmm. uh, Red Shirt Diaries, and it's a play on the Star Trek original series, and right. I starred in that, and I co-wrote it with my co-host of Geek History Lesson, Jason Inman, mm-hmm. um, and that's SAG-approved and SAG-official, so we brought in a lot of really cool talent, so like, that's coming out. I shot my first indie feature uh, about a month ago. Excellent. And yeah, I was the first girl who died. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> and I do, I do a lot of theater here, so I've got an agent and a manager, which is pretty good for... Most people don't get an agent and a manager for their first three years, so mm. I pat myself on the back for that. So it's good and it's what I love to do. So I don't, 
mind the struggling, but every once in a while it's like, wow, like I've probably seen a hundred people and nobody liked me enough to employ me. That kind of sucks. Yeah, but I mean, it's, I don't know. It seems so difficult. I mean, you want to find the right person yeah. for any role. And so that when you've got a thousand people coming in or a hundred people or even 50 people coming in for a role, it's really hard to narrow it down to the person that has everything that you're looking for. Absolutely. And a lot of times uh, I think people don't realize that you don't get a part. Maybe it's because you look too much like the person they've already cast or right. you remind them of their girlfriend who dumped them and they hate. Right. Like, you know, a lot of the times there's nothing you can do about it. But I think you have to learn. Like, that's a lesson I really had to learn because I'm a super sensitive person who cries at everything. So it took me a long time to learn that. It's not that people don't like you. It's just that you weren't the right puzzle piece today. Did you go to college in, in Canada or did you do it here in the United States? Uh, both. Okay. <laughs> I went to the University of Ottawa, which is in Canada's capital city, and mm -hmm. I studied English literature and theater, and then I minored in French. And then I moved to Los Angeles to go to a school called AMDA, which is the American Musical and Dramatic Academy. It sounds really impressive when you say it like that. Um, and they have, <laughs> they have a campus in LA and New York. So mm -hmm. I was really fortunate I got to go to school in, in both major cities and live there. So Okay. Well, I was just asking because I didn't know if there was something – that prepared you or didn't prepare you for your transition to Los Angeles to uh, to act? It was definitely going to school. And that streamlined the visa process for me a lot. Like when you're a student, they do everything for you. Um, and last year I applied for my work visa for the first time. And that is A, very expensive and B, really, really scary. Oh, because yeah. Because you have to make yourself sound, you know, super important and I'm such an asset. And yes. if you if you don't believe that, then it will never work out. Yeah. But I've it's a bit of an egotistical exercise. Many, many times I've dealt with uh, international employees where we have to say, hey, this is a person of unique qualifications and please <laughs> yeah. give them the card. And here's the forms that we have to fill out. And, and fortunately, you know, part of the, the good thing is working with those people, we can help um, facilitate them becoming a U.S. citizen if they want those kinds of things. But it's a it's a pain in the butt. Yeah, that's that's my next big goal. So, but I think that's really cool though that you've got a uh, that you've got a whole web series coming on. Now, is this yeah. uh, this is something you're producing all yourself? Or are you working with a different channel, or or you know where are people going to be able to find this? Well, I'm super fortunate that I know Jason Inman. So, and he has a, <laughs> a, 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 a you know he knows what he's doing. He knows oh, yeah, how to yeah. do this. Yeah. <laughs> so his channel, Jawin, J-A-W-I-I-N, is mm -hmm. where it's going to be featured. But it was an idea that I'd had for a long time, but I I had no idea how to facilitate something like that. And then I told him about it, and he was like, we can totally do that. That's going to oh, be yeah. really easy. And it was so much work. Well, but I think <laughs> with his experience with Mahalo and now Written Link and, and those guys, I think that really helps out quite a bit to have him, uh, you know, in your in your wheelhouse. Uh, yeah, to definitely. Help, to help move that along. And I'm super excited about it. And of course, I'm really excited that both you and Jason um, contribute to major spoilers and are part of our major spoilers family. I just think it's wonderful that you're both involved. Me too. I was really excited when you said that I could write for you. <laughs> well, you know, it's like uh, I remember I was going back today looking for an email and I found the one that I was like, hey, you know, I really like your your style and your writing. Have you ever thought about uh, working for major spoilers? And then it's like, Oh, yeah, a couple months go by, and then suddenly you drop me an email going, Hey, uh, Stephen, on uh, June 4th, uh, issue of Witchblade 175 is coming out. And I actually have a story in there. Yeah. You think you guys might want to talk about it? I'm like, talk about it. Let's get you on the show and talk about it. So you are a comic book writer. I am, officially. That's what the paper says. <laughs> now I just have to turn that into more work. Now, now explain the process of how this came about, because I, I think that there's a lot of people who are fans of Witchblade, Image Comics and Top Cow, 
But I don't think people realize that it is still very difficult to break into the comic book world as a writer, especially with a top company like Top Cow or Image. It is. And I kind of got in the cheater way um, when you listen oh, to the way a lot on. of other people it's talk about it. But, <laughs> uh, Top Cow does this really amazing thing called the Talent Hunt. Uh, this was our second year doing it where they facilitate new, uh, previously unpublished by major companies, writers and artists. And so they lay out guidelines. And our guidelines this year were a 22-page script about either the Witchblade or the Darkness set either in the past or the present because those artifacts travel to different bears throughout time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then uh, the runners-up uh, get to write a backup, and that's what I won. And then there's a couple winners. I think there's three three or four and they get a whole issue which will come out next year so i wrote a story and i sent it in and they emailed me like six months later and then they were like we want to put you in the next issue of witchblade can you give us six pitches tomorrow and i said yep and it all happened really really fast <laughs> so when you submitted your script are you just, are you submitting it in a particular comic book format or are you just submitting an idea what what uh how did the process come about go a little bit deeper into that Cool. Um, it was it was a full script, so it wasn't just a pitch. It was it was twenty two pages, and they gave us a bunch of. There's no. It's not like screenwriting. There's no hard and fast formula. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There's suggestions on on a way to do it, and there's some things like there's Marvel style, and then there's full script, and this was supposed to be full script. And we were really fortunate. They sent us a bunch of sample scripts to look at, and one was by. Uh, Tim Seeley, who's a writer who I really like. So yeah. I referenced what he did. A lot. I basically just aped his style um, <laughs> and put my name on it. <laughs> um, and then uh, there's a couple like books that I've looked at and some advice that I was given. And it's, you know, look at um, a comic book page that you really like or you think is really good storytelling and then write it out and figure out what that means to you and figure out where they do scene changes and Stuff like that, which was really hard. Like, I never realized, oh, you probably shouldn't transition to a new scene in the second panel of a page. Right. This should probably be your page turn, which sounds really, really straightforward. But when when it's not something you've ever thought about before, it was really like it was really startling for me. I wrote probably more drafts on that than I've ever written on anything. So I wrote a, a story about an Italian girl who bore the witchblade and it was set in the 1400s, I believe, because I just watched the TV show The Borgias and mm, read a bunch mm -hmm. of books about them. So I just knew a bunch about that period in history. And I made her the Gonfalieri, who's the soldier for the Pope, the head of the papal army. And I told her story and I killed her in the end because violence in comics always is appealing. <laughs> <laughs> and guess. they liked it, I guess. Well, that's <laughs> it was cool because. Cool yeah, because I won, and then we went to WonderCon the next weekend, and I got to meet Matt Hawkins and uh, Mark Silvestri, and they were really nice and very tall. <laughs> so I'm not tall. <laughs> so then when it came time for the book to be – or for the, your story to be put in comic book form, then did you get to work with the artist, or did they just uh, kind of do it on their own? Yeah, they do it. They kind of idiot-proof it for us because we're like, okay. oh, cool, that's great. I won. I don't – I don't actually know how to do this. Right. Uh, so I went through my artist, uh, my uh, excuse my editor, a woman named Betsy Gonia, who's fantastic, and I'm mm -hmm. so grateful for her. Um, I touched base with her on a lot of things. Um, she gave me great notes, and I rewrote it a few times. And then she contacted the artist um, directly, and I put a lot of reference pictures, um, just even down to like these are the guns that they're using, just trying to make his job as easy as possible. 
Mm-hmm. And um, but I didn't have any direct contact with my artists except for I sent him a massive thank you email a couple <laughs> days ago when the issue came out because it looks beautiful. Um, and he's a Spanish artist named Carlos Rodriguez who's oh, yeah. all over the internet and everyone mm-hmm. should go look up because he's really great. So, so was that? I mean, by being removed from the art side of the process or working with the artist, do you find that that was frustrating? Because I know a lot of times people are getting proofs as the, as they're working and collaborating together and making changes, and you have no idea what this is going to look like. Until... I didn't. I got I got to see the inks, and then I got to see some of the the finished uh, colored pages. Um, I found it a little bit frustrating personally because I would have I would have liked to do that, but I also understand uh, because I'm you know I'm an untested. Um, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is, but I'm an untested like like quantity. I'm an untested yeah. like talent which sounds really pretentious. Um, I understand why they wanted the editor to be the person who was the most in charge of it. So I couldn't fault them too much for that. And like I said, it, it turned out just beautiful. So if I did it again, though, which, hi, everyone at Tawakao, I'd really like to write for you again. <laughs> um, I, you know, that's something that I would definitely, I would sort of impress upon them. I'd be like, cool. So my first experience was really safe. This time, I'd like a little bit more room to to stretch and grow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have, has there been any follow up uh, since then or have you used this to um, contact other companies and say, hey, I've got something published. Can we talk? Um, I have. I mean, I bought 10 issues of it and then they gave me eight. So there you go. I have I had like a surplus of Witchblade 175 in my apartment. Um, I forwarded some of the PDFs to I'm fortunate, mostly through living in Los Angeles. I know um, a few creators, writers, and artists, and they they were all super friendly and supportive when I told them that I was doing this. So I forwarded it to a few of them, and I've contacted some people directly and been like, hey, can you give me some advice on the best way to utilize this? I sent it to some editors who I know will look at it and be like, that's great. Let me know when you have more. Like mm-hmm. I, I sent one to CB Sabolsky in the mail because why not? Right. <laughs> Unfortunately, though, he's, he's not. Uh, he's not their talent scout anymore. He's, no, uh, but he still brings in a lot of people. Yeah, that's true. And that I know he's true. more of an artist, but um, talent sort of that's his wheelhouse. But mm-hmm. um, for me, because it's my it's my first work, I feel like why not? But I know that a lot of people are going to be like, "That's great." Do you have anything else? So I'm well, trying I mean, to. I don't know too many people who say that they want to work in comics, who have uh, worked in a comic shop, who have written their own comic, who write for a comic website. You know, that's, yeah. I mean, you're you're kind of living kind of the the geek fantasy of I want to do everything comics, and and you're doing that, and you've got your own geeky web series coming out. I think this is all great. I'm super proud and happy for you. Thanks. <laughs> it's fun. It's it's awesome. I would just love to turn it into something that paid all of my bills. Well, that's, yeah, I that's think like we my all would fir- like to you know, do that, my right? first world problem. <laughs> so, <laughs> but so it, yeah, hopefully, if nothing else, I want to spin it off and do a little bit of leverage to maybe do a creator own thing. So if I took it over, if I took it to Top Cow or if I took it over to maybe like Boom Studios, I don't think I could be like, hey, look, mm-hmm. I have a thing. You should let me publish my new book through you. <laughs> I, I think you really should probably get a hold of um, Chris Roberson over at Monkey Brain uh, and Alice yeah, and we, his wife. We Twitter, we Twitter at each other. Yeah, I think that there – I mean I know it seems like some fanboy gushing, but I really like what they do, and I've been a fan of Chris's forever. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really think that they've got a model that really, really works for creator-owned projects where you create your work, they help publicize it, they sell it electronically, and then they work with uh, you know other publishers to get the collected works printed. It, it just makes sense 
uh, from that standpoint, especially in today's changing market where we're seeing uh, a rapid increase in people who are reading digital comics. Yeah, and a lot of the digital first initiatives are really taking off. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and they make really nice collections. Like I have the Bandette one over on my shelf, and it's absolutely beautiful. It's a nice hardback and yeah. everything. Yeah. So what what are you reading these days? Comics or yes. books? Well, and anything, anything, because I mean, you know, people have uh, interest beyond just the comic pages. Yeah. Um, in comics, I'm reading. I read action comics, even though I'm not a really big uh, Superman person because that makes me cry. Uh, they're Aaron Cooter and Greg Packer killing it right now. Um, I'm reading Lazarus and Saga and Nightcrawler, which I have mixed feelings about, but he's yeah, one of my too. favorite characters. Um, I'm trying to look. I'm reading Attack on Titan right now, which is I'm pretty sure it's all been published, but um, I'm reading it. Pardon is me? ID, is that IDW doing Attack on Titan? I forget who's doing um, I thought one. it was like Tokyo Pop oh, or maybe. one of the, the mega oh, okay. publishers. Okay, I, I know what Yep, I know what it is now uh, because yeah. somebody had just uh, released a, a little statue of one of the characters, and I was like, I know nothing about this thing. Um, it's a mech suit Gundam yeah, yeah, giant yeah, yeah, monster. Yeah. It's my yeah. favorite kind of anime were, manga. Yeah, then people were like, oh, you got to check it out. And I was like, okay. All right, so now I know where we're coming from on that. Cool. Yeah, um, and I'm doing this thing where I'm trying to collect all of – chuck dixon's run on robin so mm. i've been binge reading a bunch of the back issues that i just got at phoenix comic-con excellent so yeah a lot of those old ones and game of thrones um i'm slowly catching up on those books but they take like a hundred years to read um which is great but they're big you know they're hard to like carry oh, around yeah, in yeah. your bag yeah did you uh, did you two shoot anything at phoenix comic-con jason took a bunch of pictures oh but he didn't you guys didn't do any video stuff no Oh, that's too Sorry. bad. Well, I enjoy seeing all your stuff that you guys uh, share with us and that we put up on the site. Um, what I know else they're going inv- up later today. So, What else is, are you involved with? You've got – well, you do – sometimes you sit in and do Geek and Tea with Jason. Yeah, um, I do. I'm usually the PA on that, so okay. I make the tea. Okay. And, and I time them so that we know how long they go. Uh, I'm doing – I'm starting rehearsals tonight for a production of Coriolanus, so – I'm doing a Shakespeare play right now. If you live Excellent. in LA, it opens in July. Okay. Um, what else do I do? I'm packing loot crates tomorrow. Oh, to get those out. You guys had a contest going on, right? Yeah. Uh, Jason and I, we get one of the loot crates and then we do a trivia contest for everything inside and mm-hmm. everything that he doesn't know. Uh, we give away to a viewer who answers the question correctly, but they're, they're big factories out here in California. So I go and I stuff some of the boxes. Which is fun because it's cool. mostly just a bunch of geeks sitting around in a room and then yeah, they yeah. feed us. So oh, that's, that's cool. cool. Yeah. All right. Well, cool. Well, that's all about it. <laughs> yeah. We don't have a whole lot of time, unfortunately, because it always seems like every time I sit down with somebody to do an interview in this show, suddenly the show turns balloons into a two hour program instead of what we want to try to keep it in. So yeah. <laughs> uh, I think we'll end it there. I think people really should go and check out your, your Witchblade story. It's in issue 175. It was out last week, June 4th, 2014. Hello, future people. Um, go Hi. check it out. It's a really fun little story. Um, and of course it's part of, there's what three stories in there. There's the main and then two backups. Um, yep. and then of some bonus material you guys can go check out. Uh, but go check it out. Uh, Ashley, congratulations on getting published in a comic book. Congratulations. Thank you. on the. Up- I'm really looking forward to, um, uh, red shirts. Uh, I think that will be very, very cool. And uh, we look so. forward to seeing more from you on major spoilers. Yeah. I'm going to go upload a review as soon as I'm done here. Oh, 
there we go. By the time people listen to it, it may already be on the site. Oh, well, maybe not. Uh, we'll see. All right, everybody. That wraps it up for this installment of the Major Spoilers Podcast. Thank you for downloading. Thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing this episode with a friend. If you have any questions, you can contact us at podcast at Majorspoilers.com. Of course, you can follow me on Twitter at Majorspoilers. Uh, Ashley, where can they follow you on the Twitter? You can follow me at Ashley V. Robinson. Where else can they find you? I have a Facebook fan page. Really? I'm going to join. <laughs> I got, which is just uh, Facebook.com slash Ash V. Robinson. So, but my okay. Twitter is more fun. All right. Until next time, everybody, remember, keep reading those comic books and uh, we'll uh, keep reading them, too. Why? Because we know that you love comics. We do, too. And we will talk with you soon. Hey, thanks for listening to the show. If you have questions or comments, feel free to send an email to podcast at Majorspoilers.com. You can follow Major Spoilers on Twitter, at Major Spoilers. Like us on Facebook and share your thoughts about comic books and pop culture by using the comment section on any post at Majorspoilers.com. Bad Dick's revision of Superman. I could save a few bucks and stand around and read through the covers of the comics on the stand. But although every other page would be backwards, I suppose, I could still read the evens and the odds. Well, I don't know. Guess I haven't thought this all the way through. Plus, as soon as the comic book store guy knew, he kicked my butt out on the corner. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Way. If I was hulking green or gray, I could just bust through that brick wall, take their comic books away. But then the little meat would deal with all the tanks and bombs and guns. Have you ever tried to read a series with all that going on? Guess I need to rethink this plan. How would I back and board my comics with such huge hands? Guess I already told ya. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a major spoiler. It's like a man of iron I might not be surprised to find That I might actually have the heart cold To follow an entire storyline But would I really even need To read upon all those escapades I mean, who needs such distractions When your sister's such a babe But the downside is such a beast Being shot up in a fine Be in the Middle East With a King Santo and soldier What a major spoiler What a major spoiler Yeah, yeah, yeah Major Spoilers Major Spoilers is copyright 2014